0: Good morning, Five Stones. Morning. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, I'm Eugene. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, we're glad you're able to join us, and we're also glad to see. Uh, I think Pastor John and Pastor Alex and their families are back. And uh, hope you guys have a good time of relaxation, and we look forward that you recharge. It looks a little thin last week when y- you folks were not here. <laughs> Andrew and I was trying to hold up the floor. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just want to also mention that, you know, I, since I came back from my trip uh, two weeks ago, I've been kind of struggling with a bit of a cough. It's not COVID, but, but it's been lingering, so that's what I brought back as a souvenir on my trip. <laughs> All right, today we're going to start uh, with the uh, our continuation of our sermon series on spiritual discipline and the theme today is worship. Uh, When we talk about worship, uh, our mind, our focus is often on the the worship time, the praise and worship time that we have in church here the last 30-40 minutes, which is a really blessed time having our our team here leading us into praising the Lord and singing the songs. It's a wonderful time. But worship is much more than that. it encompasses every aspect of, of our lives, it Include many of the spiritual disciplines that we have looked at over the last couple of weeks, like in prayer, in meditation, uh, fasting, submission, confession last week as well. Our first praise is, is declaring God for who He is, uh, His glory, His majesty, His holiness. We thank him for what he has done for us. and David wrote in Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So we do express our praise to him through the songs, uh, maybe uh, lifting of hands, and even dancing. Well, young worshipers usually on the red carpet, uh, dancing and, and rejoicing. So we 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 praise the Lord for His greatness. Now worship has more qualities and attributes and uh, when I was preparing this, I looked and, and looked at the uh, uh, there's a clip from the worship leader and songwriter uh, Don Moen. Now some of you may know him and he gave a powerful picture whoops. Uh, Powerful picture of what worship looked like from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their, their feet, and with two they are flying and they are calling to one another Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of the voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me I cried I am ruined. I kind of like the King James Version they say I am undone for a man of, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs threw t- to me and with a live coal in his hand, which he has taken with fangs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I say, Here I am, send me." This passage is the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah, but it also shows the process of the worship. We enter into his presence. We see the Lord high and exalted. Our spirit is humble in revelation of his holiness, his greatness. And then we become, like what Isaiah says, become undone. We unravel. Then we listen and give him space and let him speak to us. He says, uh, your sins are atoned for and ask, whom shall I send? And Isaiah responded by saying, here I am, send me. So worship is more than just a monologue for us bringing our words to him, but it's actually is a two-way conversation of Lord speaking back to us as well. So let, let us pray. Father, we come together today to worship you for your high and exalted Father, we worship you because of your glory for who you are and we see ourselves as we sang earlier, as broken people, as beggars that you bring us into royalty, Lord. So Father, we, we surrender our time this morning to you, Lord, and we ask you to to give us your revelation as we look into to the discipline of worship. Teach us, Lord, as we, we worship you in, in all, the, uh, all the essence of knowing who you are and knowing who we are, Lord. So we celebrate you, Father, Lord. We ask you to lead us uh, and help us with our understanding. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, Lord, and give us your revelation. And Father, just help me today as well as I share the message, Lord, that you help me keep me from, from coughing and let me just uh, speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So what do we worship? Well, we as human beings, w- we're created to worship. You ever know that it's in our DNA when we look at, say you look at a Canucks hockey game and you see the arena you see people in the stand. They're all dressed in the Blue, green, and white jersey with their favorite players on the, on, the, on the back. And they have placard and some of them paint their faces and shouting. And when the teams score, they go nuts, right? And it gets even more crazier during playoff time, right? Everybody's excited and screaming and do crazy things. And all the, all the pubs and the bars are packed with people. People just want to celebrate and adore the. The idol, sport icons, right? And many of you probably don't remember actually before my time too. When when Elvis used to sing, the young women would faint, right? <laughs> and they probably do that today at the BTS concert or something <laughs> like that too, right? <laughs> so I don't know. Huh? But that's why we have terms like like sport icon and and American idol. We we have a innate desire to worship and adore things. But it can be other things in our lives as well. It could be, you know, our finances, our, our, like our career, maybe we worship the stock market, uh, or even our social media, our little, uh, everything that happened in our iPhone. Whoops. It could be even our friends and our families. Our children, our spouse—they are, all, you know, things important things, but they should not be things of worship. If they take place of our devotion to our Lord Jesus, then they, again, become an object of of idol, object of worship. I like to just give you a quote from from Life Church. It says that worship is how we respond to things we value the absolutely most. There can be nothing above that thing or equal to it. The thing we spend most of our time thinking about, doing, giving the most attention to, putting all our energy into, that's what we worship. Let's look at the, the, the definition of worship. And I would encourage you not to use the, uh, the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And that's kind of just what your, uh, your secular interpretation of worship is. But look at it from the perspective of the in original intention in the, in the scripture, uh, how it was translated from Hebrew and Greek. So worship in Hebrew is shakar. It means to depress, prostrate, bow down, according to strong concordions. In Greek, is poskaneo. It means to kiss like the hand of, of someone superior or the ground they walk on, or front or crouch to, prostrate oneself, to do reverence and homage. This is the physical picture of worship looks like, bowing down, knees, maybe posturing ourselves on the ground, making, basically making one low relative to what we're worshiping or who we are worshiping. It could be God, Jehovah, Yahweh, or it could be some other objects, something else, someone else. Remember the first and the second commandment, In Exodus 20, verse 3 to 5, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And it goes on. Exodus 20, 3 to 5. And Jesus, in his encounter with the devil in the desert, He responded by saying, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Luke 4, 8. And Paul wrote in the first chapter when he was talking about the the evil of mankind. And he said, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than a creator who is forever praised. Amen. Roman one twenty-five. The key word here is exchange in this last passage. Or in this is exchange in NIV or is trai- traded in uh, the NLT, the New Living Translation. What Paul has implied here is that since the beginning, man have seen the eternal power of God, the divine nature of who he is. They have worshipped God at one time and then they exchanged it for something else. They decided to trade that in. S- when Gen- in Genesis 32, you might remember when Moses was encountering God on top of Mount Sinai. And the people of Israel below were, were getting impatient that Moses was taking too long. And they convinced Aaron to make them a a golden calf, so they can worship. They probably did not intend to uh, abandon God Jehovah, but they they wanted an insurance policy, something physical like an idol, like what they've seen in Egypt. So Aaron held a festival, and burn offering on an altar before God, making offering to God in front of the golden calf. The Israelites forgotten the first and the second commandment even before they ink dry. So as a result, God's anger burned against them. The point here is that we cannot have both. Uh, it's either God or it's something else. We end up exchanging God for something else if we choose not to. Uh Follow Him. So the spiritual discipline here is to put God first, first and only, and take stock of what's happening in our lives, what's taking up most of our time, what are we pursuing, what are we doing, and then putting them into the proper place into our lives. God the Father, Son, and the Spirit is the only one only one worthy of worship. So worship in spirit and in truth. Many of you are familiar with uh, John chapter 4, the encounter of the Samaritan woman with Jesus at the well. And in verse 23, Jesus said, Yet the time is coming and has now come, when worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the worshiper the Father seeks. I want to just spend a little bit of time today, just unpack a little bit of the story, a story of a woman from redemption to worship. Jesus was traveling with his disciples, uh, going through Samaria on their way to Galilee, and he was tired, he was thirsty, So he sent his disciple into town to get groceries. And he sat down by the well, which is the Jacob well, the well dug by Jacob, and waited for someone to share cold water with with him. He didn't have to wait long when this Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. And he asked her, "Will you give me a drink? She refused, saying that well, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, how can you ask me for a drink? So a little bit of backdrop, uh, the, the Jews and the Samaritan <coughs> despise each other. Uh, the Jews consa- consider themselves as observant. Uh, they're following closely the, uh, the law given to them by Moses. And they look upon the Samaritan as kind of like I- unclean, Ill- illegitimate people. Because the Samaritans were, were descendants of the northern tribes of Israel, they were um, they were c- uh, beat, c- well conquered by the uh, Assyrians, and then other people came in, so a lot of foreigners. So they, they are kind of mixed blood, and and s- so they were considered unclean by the uh, the Jews. And the religion is kind of like a half bake of. Judaism and other all kinds of pagans' belief. And they worship at this imitation temple in Mount Gerizim. So the Jews, of course, they worship in Jerusalem. They see that as the divinely appointed location for worship. So the Samaritan and the Jews were arguing about the proper place of worship for centuries. So, but in response to the woman's refusal, Jesus offered himself as the gift of God, the gift of God. He said, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, John 4, 10. This is an important question for, for every Christian. Do we know Jesus as the gift of God? We may know religion, We may even know Jesus, but do we know him as the gift of God, the Savior, the Redeemer? If we don't, then we remain in darkness, much like this woman. So the woman said, Sir, oh, sorry, maybe. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus responded, saying, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whosoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Welling up. I remember when I was back at UBC, I, I spent one summer working up in uh, Bella Coola and we were uh, drilling for water well to feed our fish hatchery. The, the well drilling process is very slow. You're augering with the wake. But when you reach the, the aquifer where the water is and especially if it's a confined aquifer where the water might be under pressure like artesian, the water just oozes up and, and it wells up and you really have to get prepare and get control of that abundance of water as it comes out. And this is a picture of the, the living water welling up into eternal life. So the woman is thirsty now, spiritual thirsty. She said, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw, in verse, verse 15. And then Jesus gives this strange commandment. He said, go call your husbands a husband what did he mean? He said, maybe bring your husband along so that you both can receive this water? She was obviously not happy with her life, and later Jesus would reveal wh- her situation. But at that moment, she weren't ready. She weren't ready for any change. She didn't see the need. She didn't know what her problem was, which, which in a sense, itself is actually a spiritual one. And she kept quenching f- her thirst at this well, a multiple relationship, marrying different men. It's kind of like drinking soup with MSG. It just makes you more and more thirsty. Right. So the command to go call your husband is Jesus actually speaking directly to her sin. She responded, I have no husband. And that's true, but not the whole truth. And Jesus then prophetically replied, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. And what you have just said is quite true. Verse 17. So Jesus put the knife of conviction to her, maybe a scalpel, into her wound. He didn't want to treat the symptom, he wanted to get to the root of her sickness. He wanted her to confess her sin. Now this woman become alarmed. This man knows all about me. I used to think that at that moment she was just (coughs) creating a diversion, taking evasive maneuvers, changing the subject, acknowledging Jesus as a prophet, obviously, and wondering what the proper place of worship is, Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. Actually this is probably a genuine question because in her frame of mind she now she's awakened realizing her sin and her heart is not right with God. So the next question is obviously is what must I do? I'd like to quote from my Reverend Cornelius Punk. He said, the answer given by scripture is, of course, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in his finished work. This is usually not the first answer that suggests itself to an awkward sinner. Often such a person thinks he has to do something about his religion. Sh- he should go to church more regularly, or if he feels he has been in the wrong church, he should find a better one. He's concerned about the proper way to approach God. He must do the right things, perform the correct ceremonies, and observe the prescribed rules. Well, what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God in Micah 6.6? So her question is sincere. And then Jesus responded by, telling her what the proper worship is. Yet a time is coming and has now come when worshipers will worship their Father in spirit and truth, for they are the worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. According to David, he said that in Psalm 51, 17, it says that true worship comes from a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, from sinners to saints. As we sang early, from, from beggars to royalty. We trust in God's provision for our salvation through his son Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. And then we offer ourselves as the living sacrifice, as Paul wrote in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is a spiritual act of worship. Jesus made the Samaritan woman aware of her sin, her condition, and offered her the living water, the living water of himself as the gift of God, and then explained to her what the proper form of worship is in spirit and truth. It's not a place, it's not a process, it's not the atmosphere. Now she is ready to receive and she says she'll wait for the Messiah and then Jesus gently reveals himself to her by saying I who speak to you am he. I am the savior for a sinner just like you. And this is the gospel of grace and at this point you can probably hear the pin drop because she become un- completely undone, just like Isaiah. Her existing lifestyle completely unraveled, broken. She later says that she even forgot her water jug. It doesn't say in the scripture here, but maybe it's Jesus has spoken to her even further before later when the disciples came back with her groceries. But she acknowledged her brokenness and sin and believed that Jesus is the Messiah. Her heart is now right with God. And then that's when she's ready to worship. Like Isaiah, here I am, send me. Later in John four, she rushed back into town, town of Sitkar, and then she said to the people, Come, see the man who have told me everything I ever did. Could this be Christ? I believe that's a rhetorical question because you already know or knew. This is worshiping in spirit and truth. And many Samaritans believe her testimony that day. She was in complete surrender, in complete, c- complete obedience. So I say again, you know, do you know Jesus as the gift of God, the one who offered the living water, and are you thirsty? We can continue to quench our thirst just the way how we live our lives in a well of sin like the woman. But if you open yourself and drink from his living water, you can receive what she has received. Jesus went to Samaria, Samaria for her salvation and he's first thing for your as well. And his living water will satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. I'd like to share a story. Uh, generally, I like to share a story <laughs> in my message. And i like to share a story of a life of sacrificial worship. Some of you are probably familiar with the story of Eric Little. He's this young Scottish runner uh, who competed in the uh, 1924 Paris Olympic and it was depicted in that movie Chariots of Fire. He was born to a missionary parents in China as a boy he and his brother was uh, sent back to to the UK for schooling, boarding school and this quiet, shy, gentle young man excelled in sports. He was at Oxford and Edinburgh and he was captain of the rugby team, had amazing track time, and he won international championship. And the Scots calls him the Flying Scotsman. Eric has a deep conviction of his faith and agreed to serve God in whatever opportunity or platform he, he gives Eric. So when there was a Christian organization that asked Eric to speak about his faith, He confronted his fear of public speaking and then shared at those meetings and shared the gospel there. And his faith was tested at the 1924 Olympics when the qualifying heats, the qualifying for the 100-meter sprint was scheduled on a Sunday, the Lord's Day of Rest. And he politely dropped out because what would have been his best event. But there was tremendous public pressure for him to compete, um, could be a first time Scotland would wi- win a goal, so many Scots consider him a traitor for putting religion before country, but to Eric it was God before country, He I can't do that, I run for God, what I do I do for God, I can't run on Sunday, and even I ran against my conviction, my conscience, I wouldn't win so he said no. So as an alternative, he was entered into the 400-meter race, but as a sprinter, he was not considered going to, or he wasn't expected to win because the 400-meter race is completely different than the 100-meter dash. But Eric Little amazed the world by winning the Olympic gold in the 400 and setting a world record at the same time at 47.6 seconds. That's when the movie ended at the, at his Olympic victory. But the greater part of Eric's life happened in the second part of his life. He was brought up to serve and worship God in every aspect. He put God first. So after the Olympic in 1924, in the following year, rather than spending his time pursuing further athletic glory or revel on his he decided to go back to China as a missionary teacher in 1925. So in Tianjin, he met and married his uh, Florence Mackenzie, which is a daughter of Canadian missionaries, and the couple had two daughters there. But when Japan invaded China in 1937 and committed all kinds of atrocity to the population, the condition in China became very difficult. And that's when Eric decided in 1940 he sent his wife, his pregnant wife at the time and two daughters back to Canada. And then while well, he continued to serving and helping the people of China. He faced many danger, towers, and snares when he was serving in the rural part of China because during that time it was civil unrest, lawlessness and there was a war going on. In 1945 Three, the Japanese, put uh, Eric and all the other foreign nationals into a civilian internment camp in Wai Shan, China. The condition of the camp was harsh, with limited food and clothing and essential, and many of the internees behaved very poorly. They would be cheating, lying, hoarding in order to survive. But in this light, in this environment, that Eric really shined as a light because he would give his food away, he would exhort the other people to share and he would help the elderly, he ran Bible classes, he taught science and held athletic and sporting events to encourage the internees, especially all the children there that, who were at the camp without their parents. And he worked tirelessly, and, beca- and the children refer him affectionately as Uncle Eric. His friend would write No matter how busy he was, Little never neglected his daily time with God. Every morning he rose early to pray and read the Bible. A close friend of Little observed that he was God controlled in his thoughts, his judgment, his action, not surpassed or equal in this. Uh, Eric Matassas wrote the, uh, the writer, wrote a book about uh, Eric Little, it's called Seven Men, and in it, it says, and I, I'll just read from here, Eric took a special interest in the 300 s- children who had been taken out of China Inland Mission School, and were living in the camp without their parents, because their parents were probably serving other part of China as missionary, not controlled by the Japanese. He fought of his own th- three girls, so fortunate to be in better circumstances, and throughout these difficult years, Little maintained his belief that Sunday should be reserved for God. But when the teenager got into a fight during a hockey match, this will be field hockey, Eric, to the astonishment to those who knew his famous stand at the 1924 Olympics, he agreed to referee a game on the following Sabbath. Joyce Shranks, who was a 17-year-old I- fellow internee, said that Eric came to the feeling that this a need exists and it was a Christlike thing to do to let them play with the equipment and to be with them. Because it was more Christ-like to do that than to follow the letter of the law and let them run amok by themselves. As for me, it was very interesting because that was one thing, of course, everyone remembers. Eric that he would not run on Sunday because sa- of the Sabbath was the Lord's Day. So for Eric Little, his faith was not simply just following religious rules, but it's a living faith that drives his decision, his thoughts, his judgment, his action. In February February 21, 1945, just a few months before the camp was liberated, Eric was o- already suffering from ailing health at the camp, He wrote a cheerful letter to his wife, but that night he slipped into a coma and he died due to a brain tumor. He was only 43, never met his youngest daughter. So in the presence of a close friend and a missionary, his last word, his final word was incomplete, surrender. When the news of his death spread, Scotland and the world mourned, The Glasgow Evening News summed up the feeling of the Scottish people regarding the man who put God first before a gold medal and spent his life serving others. He said, the paper said, Eric Little did Scotland proud every hour of his life. And he did Scotland proud again in 2008, 63 years after his death, when China actually revealed that Eric had been included in a prisoner exchange between Britain and Japan, but rather than going free, he given up his place to a pregnant woman. So Eric Little put God first in his life, and he's dedicated his life as a worship to the Lord. He responded, just like Isaiah, here I am, send me. And this pleased the Lord, because Jesus said late in John 4, that my fruit is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish its work. Obedience and service is a form of worship. So getting right with worship we need to reshape our lives. Everything in our lives fight for our time and it's easy to letting God slip down our priority list. It's not intentional but it happens. We shape our priority and put God first, and He's the one and only one that we worship. We humble ourselves before the Lord in complete surrender, as Eric said, total surrender. Like Isaiah as well. We bow our hearts before the Lord high and exalted. We cannot lift the name of the Lord any higher because He's already exalted. But what we can do is put him highest in our lives, put the other things aside. He belongs first and foremost. We need to confess our sins to the Lord. Are we people of unclean lips? Do we have husbands like the woman in our lives, idols? We have to trade in the first that we have for the worldly things, for the living water that Christ offered to us. And then we become completely undone before him. And we thank him for the amazing grace, uh, the amazing grace of Jesus where he offered himself on the cross for our sins. We thank him for what he has done for us. We thank him for the living water that he offered well enough for us in eternal life and we can be authentic in our worship in spirit and truth as Jesus said the Samaritan woman her light bulb went on in that conversation we don't worship God through religious act or at a certain place a temple or a church we worship in a very personal way being authentic being connected to him in spirit and truth we encountered Jesus privately one-on-one. Her encounter with Jesus was one-on-one. And although we worship together on Sunday together and in other meetings, at the core is that when we worship the Lord it is a one-on-one encounter with him, with our Father in heaven. The 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said, God is worship to be worshipped in the character of a father. True worshipper shall worship the Father. This has not been in the case before. The Lord has been adored as Adonai and we revere as Jehovah. But to say our Father who art in heaven remain the prerogative of the enlightened Christian. Having believed in Christ, have received the power to become the son of God, true Christian worship address God not merely not merely as a creator and a preserver or as a great lord of the universe but one who is very near kin to us our father beloved of our soul so we can be authentic in our worship with the lord we can be connect with him as the father as you connect with your own children you can you know how much the father desires to to love, to connect, to talk to our children. We can be honest and even when we're frustrated, we're carrying burden, we have pains, or maybe even when we're singing the song earlier, oh, I don't really agree with the lyrics or the, uh, the lyric doesn't work for me. Bring those things to the Lord and share that with Him because He's a, our Father. He understands. set aside time to worship in prayer and meditation in studying the word we enter into his presence into his holiness holiness and we have to give him s- space to speak to us as well as we worship we have to have be attentive to what he's speaking to us and then we can respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying and we submit ourselves we break down ourselves in, and then listen and answer. Like Isaiah, here I am, send me. And we worship the Father in our mountaintops. We worship our Father in our valleys. And we can worship our Father even in the everyday mundane things of life because his grace is in ev- every place. So in the story, like Eric Little, who carve his life out as a as a form of worship, running a race that was well ran. We also need to be intention, intentional in how we worship the Lord. He deserves our honor. He deserves p- the place in our heart, the only place. And that's why in Jeremiah it says that we should seek him. You shall seek me and find me and when you all when ye, ye search shall search for me with all your hearts in Jeremiah 29:13 so are you thirsty? are you ready for the living water? What are you living for? Let your worship be a complete life ex- response to our father. Let's pray and I'll ask the worship team to come up as well. Father. You alone are worthy of our worship, Lord. You are the only one that should be front and center in our lives, Lord. You bless us with many things, Lord, but help us to put each and every one of them into the proper perspective in our lives, Lord. And we only uphold you as the high and exalted one. We receive you. We receive the living water that you provide to us, Lord, that we can drink and not be thirsty, that we no longer need to chase after all the different things in our lives, Lord. Father, teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth, that we are authentic, that we only seek you as as our loving Father, Lord. And we worship you for, for the saving grace that you provide to us, Lord. Father, we just want to be completely surrender ourselves to you, L- much like Isaiah and the Samaritan woman, Lord, that we become undone and our, our, our ourselves unbroken and unravel so that we can come to you in, in where we keep ourselves low and elevate you as, as high and above, and we honor you for who you are. And the glory and the holy presence that you have. We thank you for the eternal life that you give to us. We thank you, Father, as we worship you in total surrender to you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Praise the Lord. Thank you, Eugene, for that message uh, on worship. He quoted uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. To offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, and I always remember uh, that passage uh, when when pastor, uh, uh preach and talk about the fact that uh, the problem with living sacrifices is that they run away from the altar, and uh, and I think that's 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 where we are at many times when when we go to worship or or present our worship to the Lord, we maybe our hearts and minds are not not. Not uh, getting right with God, it's more like, more <laughs> on a on a trying to run away, and uh, and maybe perhaps this morning as we are reminded about worship that we need to come if in spirit and in truth, we need to come in spirit and in truth, and uh, what what that means is not just just uh, um, you know uh, get a sense of of of, of being. Just having the right words, or just having the the right atmosphere, but it, with a right heart, and with all of our being, with all of our bodies, uh, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice—a wh- whole body, a whole the whole from head to toe, physically, emotionally, everything that of who we are—to bring ourselves to that place where we just. Come naked and be undone by the grace and mercy of our God. That in the presence of God be undone. I like that word that was used as well. That we we need to be undone and uh, and be, be just emotionally, spiritually naked before God and just say, God, I'm undone. I'm and in, I bow now in worship. I make myself low. You are highly exalted. You are God. And I will worship you with all of my mind, all of my heart and all of my might. So today, just take this day, just to contemplate a little bit more what worship means to you. Are you making yourself low? Are you making yourself uh, with all of your being, with all your heart, with all your soul, knowing how much he loves you, how much he has given to us. There was an old vineyard song that, uh, that, that came to me as, as, as I listened to the message, you have shown me favor unending. You have shown me favor unending. And uh, have we experienced that in our hearts and lives? Are we giving our hearts and soul to the one who has shown us favor unend- unending? Let's give our hearts and our soul, our whole being, even our very physical selves, uh, in service and in love, and in worship to the one who has given us favor unending. Let us pray. Father God, as we think about what worship means to us, we are reminded of the Eric Little story of a life that's given totally, physically as well, uh, even in, in, in the sports that he does. and uh, He's giving it everything, heart, soul, and mind, and body, to you. So help us today to contemplate a little bit more what worship is all about. To the one who loved us, to the one who has given us favor, to the one who has shown us love, mercy, and accepted us, and loved us, and forgiven us of all our sins. And, and, and with joy you are throwing a party in heaven for all of us who, are, who recognize that we are sinners coming to a gracious God and that you're throwing a party in our, in our uh, honor, welcoming us back into your presence. So help us as we think through uh, the gospel message, help us think through uh, the, uh, the joy, of what it means to be loved by you, that we'll come, uh, that we will know that yes, all of our sins <laughs> are forgiven in Christ Jesus, and that we can come freely and just be exposed to you. Naked, emotionally, spiritually, what? And totally. <coughs> and, and you loved us and you accept us. And may our hearts just respond, respond to that favor, that favor that's unending. So Jesus be with us as we think through this, as we dismiss from here. Let the joy that's now welling up in our hearts just be something that would, uh, that would water our hearts and soul. And, uh, and bring uh, the uh, the water that we are seeking for th- our thirsty souls. So let let's, may your spirit just renew us. May your spirit just bring forth the water, the, w- the water that springs of living water, and let it just well up from within us now. <coughs> now, Lord, dismiss your people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And all God's people say, amen, amen. amen.